Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I am Rich Trevere. And this is episode 15 of History on the Table podcast. The babyest, least smug, currently recording wargaming podcast out there. I get that reference even though I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear it pretty quick. Yeah, we were called a uh, little baby boy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how you been, buddy? Oh, the podcast war start. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been hanging in there. Um, yeah. It's... Hey, real, real quick, we lose that war, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm hanging in there. I mean, the the weather turning nice certainly helps. Um, you know, if you're going to be trapped in, in a room all day and never go into the office or anything, which I don't really miss going into the office, but it's nice having open windows and seeing the neighborhood and everything, so. It's it's not bad. It's it's better than it is for many 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 people. So I can't complain. Right. I have I have no complaints. More or less returning to the office tomorrow. So we fired up the grill this afternoon and made a bunch of tiki drinks this afternoon. Me more so than my wife. And yeah, things are good. I, I spent a whole bunch of time getting the most out of this last weekend, and you did too. So I think we have a lot of war games to talk about. I played a whole bunch of RPGs, a whole bunch of good stuff absolutely uh, can you imagine what life would be like right now without vassal oh my goodness it really <laughs> i mean i i tell people and you're right there's there's people in a lot worse situations i don't want to make light of any of that by any means but people talk about like getting bored and they're getting stir crazy and getting cabin fever and all that stuff and it's like well dang my my life really hasn't changed that much other than i'm working from home right because we have a we have a seventh month old, so it's not like we were going out all the time anyways beforehand. And then beforehand, I was playing Vassal and playing games on Roll20, so my hobbies I'm still able to do. And yeah. I don't see my quote-unquote real-life friends in person anymore, but we've been doing like happy hours on Zoom and all that stuff. So. Oh, that's cool. Well, I haven't even thought of doing that, but I was actually the you know, few wargaming friends I've got here in town. We, we had been doing semi-regular happy hours and... That was one of the things I was saying to them just a week or two ago. I'm like, man, that's the first thing we're doing when they open mm-hmm. back up. I need a happy hour. <laughs> yeah, I tell my wife, it's, it was like, I thought the joke was funny. It's like five o'clock would roll around. It's like, all right, I'm going down to the bar. <laughs> and then you just walk downstairs and hop on the computer, and there you are. There you go. Turn on Cheers, and it's like you're there. Absolutely. That. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Cheers still holds up still holds up we does, recently yeah. started rewatching it it's it's so good okay so let's let's talk about games the i think the most surprising thing for me over the last month and a half is the lack of amount of stuff i bought i thought for sure like retail therapy was something i was <laughs> going to turn to in war game but i was talking to my wife before we started recording and i was like holy shit i was like i really don't have anything to report of buying yeah i a couple friendly local game stores i like both of them one's tabletop game and hobby that's where we did next war con last year mm-hmm. and then there's another one out in independence missouri just off i-70 um it's called uh, game cafe and they both did free local delivery so i just threw some shekels their way um the only thing really noteworthy i got some supplies and just some little euro games for my wife and i i finally bought a copy of ogre i've never played it oh yeah yeah so Probably not the little two ninety nine card box, but the the more recent one that comes in a normal size ish game box. I got the normal size game box. I did not get the massive size game box. Have you seen that one? Like the yes, the I one have. that's bigger than Gloomhaven, probably. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah no just the normal one and it's you know the components are nice i don't think the the game's very deep and um i think my wife will get a kick out of it she likes memoir 44 and things like that so it should be something that we can actually get to the table but yeah i was going through it's like dang uh, i got some rpg stuff as well but i was like i have nothing to report and i thought for sure this is what i'd be turning to but well nope. i'm the opposite i've bought too much lately Oh, good. Yeah. Tell us about it. So uh, my my 10-year-old, who I love to game with, and she's 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 a good sport for strategy games as long as they're not too deep. But, but if she gets into something, she can get into some pretty, you know, what I consider to be tough games. Like, she's great at Gloomhaven. She picks everything up perfectly, She but it's because she likes it so much. So um, she is obviously into Hamilton, and she loves it and she wants me to listen to it all the time she can't wait till the movie comes out because we're not gonna we can't afford to go see the musical but um so i was like well hey how about an american revolution game and she's like yeah that sounds good i'd try that so she's into like lafayette and uh i don't know i don't remember all the american revolution guys i don't know that much about it but anyway so i found a cheap copy on bgg of we the people which is the Mm -hmm. old Mark Herman game. It's very simple. I mean, you know, somebody's right now saying, ah, it's not a war game. You can't call it that. I don't care. It's it's go, basically. You, you try to surround stuff. You fight a battle every now and then. Um, but it's an interesting game. It was fun to play. We had a really good time playing with her. And I know it's a good game when we played for a couple hours, like on a Saturday afternoon, and they got to the dinner time. I said, let's come back to the tomorrow. And then Sunday afternoon, she's begging me to play again. She's like, nice. let's go finish it up. So definitely we the people um she loved it we're gonna play that some more fantastic i mean that's got to be a great feeling yeah absolutely your kid into a war game like that now for anyone listening that's um washington's wars the more modern that's the re the re-implementation right he did it and i think washington's war is more war game ish Mm. um but i haven't i haven't played it that's just yeah i don't know they're both card driven games so I don't know what the differences are. I Washington's War didn't click for me. I, I got rid of my copy. So We the People has kind of an odd combat system. Like, it's it's got these cards, and I think that's one of the things he revamped is the combat system. But it's got these cards, and you get a number of cards based on, like, your leader rating and the number of guys you have in battle and a bunch of other things. But you'll probably get five to ten cards, and then the other person may get, you know, three to five to seven, or maybe they'll get ten cards too. And then the attacker has to play a card and the defender has to play the exact same card. If they can't, they lose the battle. And then after the defender successfully defends that attack, they can roll to see if they can then become the attacker. Um, If the attacker ever has no cards, they lose. If the defender ever cannot match a card, then they lose. So it's a weird battle system. Um, You know, it's definitely not heavy by any means or whatever, but playing with a 10-year-old, it was fun. She enjoyed it quite a bit. And there's a little bit of strategy, too, because there's certain cards in there where, like, if you play a a bombardment card and they don't match it, then they get, like, two less losses or something. If you play a frontal assault, the attacker gets more losses. So there's a little strategy into it like that. But it is a weird combat system, which I think... Well, good. I'm glad she liked it. I don't... Have you... Have you played the Battles of American Revolution? No. So that's Any another one that I just picked up was the first one I got was Savannah, um, which I thought looked interesting because part of the reason I picked that one up is because I heard that's a good three-player game. 
um, which my wife has another one. She's like, yeah, I'll play something with you if it's not too tough. So I think she'd be willing to play that. Maybe the three of us could play that one together. But I, I just got it like last week and I haven't played it at all. So haven't played the system a bit. It's good. I don't know. I don't know about a 10 year old, um, but you, I don't know what, I mean, you could certainly set up a battle, right? Right. I mean, you could just put the battles, I mean, you could just go through combat or, or however, I don't know what she's capable of, but yeah. Um, great system. Someone told us when we first started playing was to like ditch the strategy card. So like when you went into battle, you could say, um, we're doing this particular maneuver and the defender, or no, you do that secretly. And then the, the defender, they pick their secret maneuver, right? And based off what everyone plays, you may get modifiers. We ditched those completely and just played the game and it actually ended up working. So we ditched the ta- tactics card. And if, if you end up playing Savannah soon, I would consider it. It just takes a thing out and it's really kind of unnecessary. I mean, you know what people are going to play most of the yeah. time anyway, so... Hmm. Yeah, I'll probably be getting Good that one hopefully system. on the table pretty soon. Although, who knows? Right now, I, I think my table has Atlanta Zars permanently stapled to it. So, <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah. And then I also got, speaking of big games, uh, Vietnam 1955-1975. That's nice. enough. I've been wanting to play that one for a while, and I thought, hey, if I'm going to be in quarantine for a while, uh, that's one I've been wanting to learn. So I got that one as well and then Stalingrad 42 which you, we have been talking about quite a bit and I haven't gotten it out yet but I know the systems so I don't think that'll be too much to learn but um, I got that one from Miniature Market they delivered it nice you're in for a treat yeah um, I can't wait Vietnam 6575 is on my shelf um, absolutely that's I mean people ran rave about that game super popular game would love to try it someday cool good good good, good. anything else uh, I think that's it for new games. Let's talk about books. I have been slacking um, in the history department. I, I tried to find something other than Decision in the West to read for Atlanta's Ours mm-hmm. this week. And I just I was trying to find something on Audible. And it, it just wasn't happening. So I've been reading... It's called Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence. It's a fantasy book. Okay. It's okay. Um, it's kind of this interesting thing like this, this kid is a prince and then he gets attacked and he's basically leading a band of, of misfits. It's, it's told in the first person and it's, it's fine. It's, it's really dark. Um, I'm going to finish it. I like it enough. I don't know if I'm going to stick with the whole series. Mark Lawrence is pretty active on the fantasy subreddit and that's kind of how I like stumbled upon his work. He's pretty well recommended over there and a lot of people rave about it. I just don't know if it's for me. And then real quick, I'll mention because uh, your co-host over on chance of gaming, Adam <laughs> mentioned dying earth by Jack Vance, which yeah. is dungeon call dungeon crawl classics. They're coming out with a setting an RPG setting in this world. And the whole, the whole, the reason this series is famous is it's what the D and D magic system is based off of. Right. The and that was, system. that was cool to read about for like five minutes. But then <laughs> I was like, so you, your co-host Adam was like, yeah, I just didn't click for me. I didn't like the writing style. I was like, uh, I don't know about that. I'm going to listen to this book. Yeah, I uh, I probably made it about halfway through. And it's a really short book. Huh. And uh, nope, I'm out. Okay. Well, speaking of books that we didn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever read the uh, Paralander trilogy by C.S. Lewis? 
No. Okay. Uh, it's his science fiction trilogy. And the okay. first two books, I think one is called, maybe I'm getting the order wrong. One's called Out of the Silent Planet. And one, I think it's called Paralandra. Um, okay. Probably Paralandra's first. Anyway, they're pretty good. Um, you know, not amazing, but they're pretty good. Um, and then the third book is called That Hideous Strength. And I, over the, you know, I mean, over the course of the last maybe 10, 15 years, I've tried to read That Hideous Strength maybe three or four times. I've tried reading it. I've tried listening to it. I just couldn't get through it. It was just boring. I just never liked it. So a couple months ago, my wife's like, yeah, it's so good. It's it's amazing. Uh -huh. I love that book. It's awesome. Let's listen to it together. I was like, okay. So we checked it out on Hoopla. We've been listening to it. And even then, it was like a grind. I mean, it was taking up. I had to recheck it three times. Because we're like, ah, okay. You know, and it's not even that long. Um, but finally, so <laughs> we get to the end of this book and we're like literally an hour, maybe two away from the end of the book at this point. And my wife goes, oh, you know what? It was the second one I liked. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. At this point, we're listening to the end of the book. So we finally made it to the end of the book. I do not recommend it. The first two are really good. The third one, forget about. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. that's, that's painful. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I can't believe The Dying Earth is so... Like, it's got good ratings over on Goodreads. And I think people give it praise because... It's got this magic system in it, and sure, yeah, it's cool to read about that, but man, that first book was just a drag, and it's hard to follow, and it's about, like, they create these women that, like, it's weird. Mm. It's weird, man. Not for me. I like books with interesting magic systems, though, like the Mistborn si series, great magic sure. system, the, uh, the Kingkiller series, great magic system. I think it's cool when they come up with something that is honestly unique for magic. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I probably would have liked this uh, 50 years ago. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, it and it shows its age, I, I think, too, uh, which isn't yeah. a problem. I mean, I have no problem reading older books or that are dated and how they treat different characters. But, yeah, not not for me. And then, yeah, no no history stuff. I need to find a good um, yeah something to dive back into. It's just kind of been uh, stuff that rush your brains, fantasy and comics and all that stuff. Yeah, I've got a pretty good book that I'm almost done with now. It's called Persian Fire. Have you read that one? Uh-uh. It's, it's, it's about the, uh, basically the, the, the Greek-Persian War, the one that ended, you know, in, in 480 BC or whatever. Um, it's kind of the, you know, the, the culture of the two, the Greek city-states versus the part Persian Empire coming together and, and the clash that started it. And it's got, you know, obviously the, the Battle of Thermopylae in there and, and, uh, it's it's really interesting though. I mean, it's not it's not just about the battles. It's really about the culture differences. Um, there's some really cool stuff in there about like the Persian intelligence network that they had, which I think is interesting. And the Greek politics, as far as like um, trying to get the city states together and the Persians even pitting city states against each other. And pretty good book. I've, I'm not quite done with it, but I'm almost done with it. So Persian Fire by Tom Holland. Spider-Man? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, we just watched Onward a couple, last night. Yeah, I think last night, too, which also makes me want to play pieces. Maybe it's on Netflix. I think it was supposed to come out in theaters, but it's got Spider-Man and Peter Quill in it. It's on Netflix. No, no, it's on Disney. It's on Disney. Cause it's oh, okay. Movie. Okay. I was going to say, I haven't I, seen that pop up. Yeah, was it good? My, yeah, it was good. My kids loved it, but I, okay. I thought it was fine. Is it I mean, Pixar? it was nothing... Um, 
I don't know if it was Pixar or actual Disney. I'm not sure. Okay. I'll look yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty good, though. Nice. I mean, it was one of those ones where, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, there's like nothing about it that kind of blows you away and think, oh, that surprised me, but it was still good. Hey, that's all right. I just wrapped up a show like that. That, that it's, <laughs> it's sense of, and, and I'll, I'll save this for the end, but real quickly, I'll just say like it, it hit this sense of treasure hunt and adventure like perfectly, but the teen melodrama, which normally doesn't bother <laughs> me, was so bad. I actually can't recommend it to anyone because it was so fucking cheesy. But the treasure hunt and the mystery and the murder and the corruption made it outstanding. And then just that stuff was a hot, hot pile steaming. It. <laughs> Good. And all, and all the teenagers are playing played by like 27 year olds. Actually, they were because my wife looked it up. She's like, "Guess how old they are?" I was like, "I don't know, probably 21." She's like, "No, he's 27." I was like, "Dang." Yeah, no, there was a lot of that going on. Uh, so uh, in this month of uh, staying at home, I think you and I have both actually been playing a lot of war games. Yeah, yeah. And when it first started, it was there was so much work for me to do that I didn't get to play much. But the last month, it's really eased up, and I've I've gotten I've gotten to play quite a bit actually. Nice. What you got? So, like I, I already talked about, We the People a little bit. Mm-hmm. I played that a couple times. Um, I played a little Next War Korea, which actually was the first time I played that one. So nice. I've got three Next War games under my belt now: India, um, Poland, and Korea. Uh, Vietnam obviously is not out yet, and I've never played Taiwan. I don't have that one, so. Um, but Korea, I really like. I think I actually that's my favorite of the three so far. I like that even better than Poland. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get that one under the table. Yeah, it all started because it was it was actually April first. I was just kind of goofing around. I was thinking, would it be hilarious if like during the global epidemic on April for on April Fool's Day, North Korea invaded? Because everyone would be like, no, that's ridiculous. So I set it up, and I set it up as if, like, no other nation would even join in. It was just going to be North Korea versus South Korea. And I didn't play the whole thing. I played a, a few turns, and North Korea's like, we're steamrolling. If nobody's going to help you, we're just going to steamroll. So it was fun. And then... Oh, really? Yeah, I thought I, that would go the other way. Like, I, I would imagine the South Koreans would just steamroll the North Koreans. No, actually, North Korea did really well at the beginning. Huh. Um, it helped. They got some good roles on like the opening strikes and stuff. Sure. They got some uh, headquarters and, and uh, airports and stuff like that. So that certainly helped. Interesting. You know, I haven't thought about doing that. And that's a good, when you first, when I heard you first mention that on Chance Game, I was like, dang, that's actually a really good idea to take this. <laughs> you know, because usually I just go with whatever. And yeah, you want right. to bring someone in to get the, the big guns, right? I mean, you want yep. cool planes and fast shit and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting actually to. Yeah, cool it was idea. fun. I enjoyed it. I, I was going to do it again last week when they started, all the rumors were going on about, <laughs> uh, about his death and everything, because sure. that's the first scenario. It's like, oh, he died and the military decides to invade. Um, but then, you know, we ran into Donkey Kong and he is not actually dead, apparently. So <laughs> didn't get back to it. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about Donkey Kong. Um, so we were set to go to Events After Combat's smaller St. Louis convention. Uh, it would have been last week. And you and I were going to play a combined massive game, the whole combined game of Onder Richmond and basically Stonewall Jackson's way. It uses a few yes. other maps, but that's the... And uh, it got canceled, obviously. And you were able to spend the whole weekend playing Onder Richmond. I was able to drop in one day and then drop in a little bit on Saturday. But it sounded like 
and I know because I, I played on Thursday, but it sounded like the rest of the weekend was a blast. Yeah, we had a good time. Um, and some people even played some other games after hours and stuff. We basically played my time from like 1030 every morning to six in the afternoon or something like that would maybe a break in there. So we probably played a total of maybe 18 hours over three days or something. And, and we got uh, probably, I think we got 19, 20 turns in. So yeah, about an hour a term or so. That's good. Progress. It's kind of funny though, because, you know, just playing, you know, Vassal is, there's goods and bads, you know, and in, in some ways it really speeds up the game, but in some ways it's kind of annoying and slows down the game. So I think, Give and take, it all balances out. I don't think Vassal has an effect on the time amount, but obviously the space. I honestly, our, our original plan, I don't know how we would have pulled that off. That would yeah. have just been insane. Right. We were going to cut the non-necessary yeah. <laughs> maps out. Is, is what like their Grant takes command, I think, is in there, but just for a little yeah. bit. So we're just going to drop it. Yeah. And just to give you an idea, in On to Richmond, the entire Stonewall Jackson's Way, which was going to be a separate game in our initial plan, is like a sub-segment sub, sub that only happens starting on like turn 35 or something. So, And we only made it 20 turns in anyway. Right. But that is, I mean, last year we made it like, I think, four turns into Beyond the Rhine. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's good it, progress. It's still, it's an amazing game. Um, Very very frustrating for the union. I will say if you are one of those people that like you have to win a game and you have to do well and you're easily frustrated, I would highly recommend you do not play this game as the union. Um, I think you have to have the kind of personality where you're along for the ride. You want to see how the story develops. Um, if you're into story games where you don't necessarily, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to win, but if if your goal is to win the game, onto Richmond as the union is going to frustrate the hell out of you. Because, well, I think, and I don't no, want to I don't want to jump the gun because we're, so we're going to talk about Atlanta's ours, which is yeah. in the same series. I've talked about it before before Rich came on the show, and then now Rich has dived into the series. Great campaigns in the American Civil War is easily one of my favorite war game series out there. It's fantastic, and but it does have frustrating die rolls. That if that if randomness is something that bothers you, this system may not be for you. But I think thematically, and we talked about this a little bit, right? Thematically, that frustration makes so much sense for the American Civil War. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were joking the whole time about how how ticked off Lincoln was with McClellan during this whole thing, because there's there's times where you know McClellan for three or four days at a time is literally doing nothing and lincoln's got to be sitting up there in the white house going what the hell dude <laughs> where is grant and how can i get him over here <laughs> so i mainly saw the early action and i just took i took magruder which basically yeah. meant i was in an observer's role because magruder was basically a marching from um uh, like the peninsula north of Norfolk up, so he didn't actually see any action. I really thought you had a good, um, a good grasp of things when we called it on Thursday. Right. Yeah. It seemed like you were really threatening the Pamunkey River. Like it sounded yes. like you had a foothold over the Minot Pony, and then it it sounded like things went downhill. Yeah. So two things happened. Well, probably three. One, I could no longer be active, which made it tougher for me because that meant the Confederates automatically got to go first every turn. 
and they usually got to decide when the previous turn ended. So uh, the guy I was playing against got to, he got to do a lot of basically double moves where he says, turn's over, I get to take a final action, and then I'll get to go first next time. So that hurt. Uh, the other thing that happened, um, I had to stay passive because you, there's no way to earn a command point. You have to randomly roll one, and you can only do so once every seven turns. So if you don't get that one, seven turns, then you get to try again. And in fact, I never got one. I never got another command point in that game. Um, and then the third thing that happened is instead of getting a command point, what happened is that General Lee replaced General Johnson, um, which... I mean, honestly, that's the biggest turning point in the game right there. Because instead of me staying active, he gets a much better general and he completely seizes the initiative of the game. So, mm. um, yeah, I had a good first week. Also, <laughs> Longstreet showed up and he right. really helped, helped pinch me. So. Yeah, early on it looked like, I mean, the Union was set up to, if we could hit you in the side, you'd be in trouble. But the Confederates early and on to Richmond, and what we're going to talk about the mechanics of great campaigns in the American civil war in just a few minutes. Um, so just specifically with on to Richmond early on, it's like, how did the Confederates do anything? I mean, the doom and gloom of the main Confederate commander um, was like, he sounded done, right? I mean, there was no way to mount a counterattack against a 21 strength, stack right. that you had but then yeah. things do change longstreet arrives lee comes on something you lose your command ability you're not able to march as far someone gets caught with their pants down all those things and it ends up telling this great story which is yeah we'll get into it it was yeah. it was fun though I, I wish i could have done more because it sounds like you guys had an absolute blast yep i love a game that tells a story mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and which we'll get to excruciating decisions all throughout <laughs> yeah exactly where the f- do i go yeah um okay so i played a i played a few things so i think i talked about 1832 which is a, a train game set in the south and so we fired up a second game of that um for the train game fans out there this is a fantastic probably one of my favorite games in the 18xx series i probably like 1849 a little bit more but what's cool here, Rich, let's say you're running two companies in, in your the 18xx game you played. You can actually merge those together to like make really strong, solid routes. So like in 1846, if you're running New York and uh, Erie, right? They're up there in the northeast or mm-hmm. whoever, or New York and the Ick down in the southwest. You can merge those and they have all the same counters and they merge their trains and all their, their pool, uh, their cash reserves merged together and it's a really cool component that i had an experience in an 18xx game so there's a little bit more shenanigans and then it's also super tight like in 1846 is if you strike early you can basically get the route you want this thing fills up fast it's a uh, it's a good game though it's 1832 the south so well, i've only played one 18xx game but mm-hmm. when you say like getting the routes you you want are you talking about like is it you talking about the limiting the number of the actual overlay hex tiles that you use to to change the you know, the junctions and everything? So good question. No, it's not limited in hexes. There's there's a few key hexes. It's like, damn, I really want that one, and it's gone. This is more limited by tokens. 
like there's so many companies and there's so many tokens like there's a good amount and the map area is small enough that you feel con constrained in like Atlanta is the big city it's kind of centrally located it's worth it's tied for the most points and there's only four spots there <laughs> and the the other place is Kansas City so outside of Atlanta everything else is limited to two tokens across the map and it just gets it gets really tight hmm. so token wise it's constraining i would say track track wise like some games like 1830 and i'm sure there's others are really limiting in the amount of track that's available to you like once it's gone it's gone that's not necessarily the case here um this is just like oh i can't run my train there because i'm blocked it's good okay it's very very good uh, real quick, I'll talk about Nevsky, and I owe I owe my buddy Zach an apology because when when this whole thing started, he's like, "Do you want to fire up Nevsky?" And I was like, "Hell yes, I want to play." And I have sat down with these rules probably three or four times, Rich, and I just look at them and I, I read through completely once. I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's all basic enough." But then when I start to try to think about the game, and I've had the same problem with Labyrinth, it's it's like it's not registering. I'm just like staring at a blank screen you know so is it, does that make sense at all well i guess i'm uh, to ask why is it because like you don't know what you should be doing short term long term or you know what i mean there are some yes. games you look at and you're like man i don't know what my next move should be and some games you look at and you're like i don't know what what the goal is here uh yes is what i'll say okay um, <laughs> the part of the deal here is it's so it's a volco game so it's not a cut and paste hex encounter game right like there's right. a lot of different things going on here so it's unfamiliar territory which is fine but the other thing is is you can permanently like you could rule yourself out of this game by making mistakes basically what happens is you are you uh petition or hire i don't remember what the word is different leaders to command troops and you can you can buy pay them off to stay longer or whatever but at some point they'll likely leave is what it sounds like i haven't played yet um but if they leave enough like if you don't pay them enough if they basically if they cross a threshold they never come back they're out of the game for good yeah i know that's the whole point of the system when there's a second volume announced now anyways this whole sort of 40-day cycle of, of yep. hiring lords to, to mm -hmm. fight your battles for you and so it's like that's kind of um, crippling in the sense like, dang, I, I really need to think about that. And not that it's it's not hard. It's just I need to see it. And I, I was talking to another buddy. He's like, yeah, I feel really bad. I haven't taken my opening move in Nevsky, and it's been like over a month. But I just keep like staring, and nothing is registering. I think I say this a lot. I think it's truly one of those games where you just need to get it out and see how it happens. Like just go through a turn by yourself and see how all right cool you lost your leader great now you see how that happens and how do you avoid that next time yeah it's, I, it's, i've been saying that for months that I, I need to get that game out for some reason i just keep not doing it yep i'm this and it's really not even that many pieces like i gotta put some stickers on some wooden cylinders but there's not a, a whole lot there work-wise it's and i should do it i mean one of the biggest mistakes i made in onward christian soldiers was um paying gosh i don't remember what it's called now anymore but basically 
you get stuck on a, a transport location and you have to feed all your soldiers. And if you don't stop in a city, you lose a shit ton of your forces. Yeah. Like there is where I should have pulled out the game beforehand and just going through those steps. And I think the same thing in Nevsky would be true. If you actually take the time to see how your Lords leave, you'll probably be rewarded. I don't know. This is kind of a, it's not really, I'm going to get to this game eventually. Everything about it sounds really interesting. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just for whatever reason, I'm yeah. drawing blanks anytime I try to actually take make progress with it. It's weird. So it's interesting you say that because stuff like that is often cured by just playing a game two or three or four, sometimes in some games, 10, 20 times. I mean, it. that's why games like ASL, I mean, you've got these guys that have been playing this game for 50 years and they know every little rule. And when you come in as a new guy, they're going to screw you on something, not because they're trying to screw you. But they're going to be like, well, yeah, that's the rule. And you're like, well, crap, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have done that if I knew that was the rule. So um, it, it kind of, the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm trying to find games that I really like and play them more mm -hmm. rather than just keep going to new games. And I think that's part of the reason Nevsky's staying on my shelf. Like right now, um, I, I don't want to take GCACW off my table just because it's so good and I'm enjoying it so much. And every time I play, I learn a little more about it. I mean, playing this last week for a few days, I learned a lot that now, now I'm going to take it to my, my Thursday game that I'm playing with another friend online. So, Yeah, no, and that's, I mean, that's a great problem to have. And we have yeah. this abundance of, I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, I raved about Onward Christian Soldiers and, it's completely fallen by the wayside and that's a game I would love yeah. to get back to or gosh, Stalingrad 42. There's still so much of that game for me to explore. I mean, that's that campaign game is massive and then don't even get me started on next war. You know, I've only itched one of those games and yeah. there's this whole series out there waiting for me. Um, and I don't, uh, this isn't a bad thing about Nevsky. I've, I'm having the same problem with Labyrinth where it's unfamiliar and it's, Part of its laziness, I just don't want to get it out. I, I think you just need to see it to understand it. And same thing with Labyrinth. Like, I read through the rules. Mechanically, there's nothing difficult about that game. It's just you need to see it. Did you buy and so it on Steam? I have it on Steam, and I have so, the, the tutorial's not very helpful. I didn't okay. find it very helpful. And then I have a physical copy, yeah. Okay. I was just wondering if that would help. Because, like, Twilight Struggle, I mean, I've played that game on Steam and iOS not exaggerating probably at least a hundred times and I've never played it on cardboard. Um, but obviously I know the game, so I wonder if that would help playing it electronically, but if the tutorial is bad, then maybe it wouldn't. Yeah. I just need to spend some more time with it. Anyways, not a slight against Nevsky at all. It's just this, it's so weird. Like I want to play and I have a game ready to go and it's like, I don't know. Too many distractions, that's part of the deal, watching yeah. different TV shows, and then just laziness, and then just this weird th thing where the game just isn't clicking yeah. home for whatever reason. Sometimes you need a goal, too. Like, for me, I obviously, I wanted to learn GCACW before Donkey Kong, and right. now I really want to, I want to get a lot more familiar with Next War before Historic Fest. Do you ever, like set out in the day and you're like i want to do all these things today and then like that's a, that's at 8 a.m and then yeah. like 11 o'clock rolls around and you're like fuck i didn't do anything for the last three hours might as well write the whole day off like you still have <laughs> 10 hours left to do stuff but like nope in my mind yeah. you lost three hours the whole day is gone uh real quick before we dive into elena's ours uh i will talk about a game that i have 
or a series I have dove in, dived into, um, which is Axis Empires. I talked a little bit about Totaler Krieg. Uh, We had started the face-to-face game, and that transitioned onto Vassal um, into a three-player game. So now we're doing Totaler Krieg three-player. I'm playing the West, and obviously other two players are playing Germany and Russia. Um, and so the German the Germany player kicked off Case Yellow, and I overcommitted British troops hard. Like, I I didn't build the Maginot line. I was going to go on the offensive in France. I was really hoping he attacked Russia first. He didn't. All my British troops, I sent everything I had over to France to try to stop him. Didn't matter. And the problem now is, based off how the turns were structured and where my British troops were on the, like, delay cycle before they came back... Every city in England is home to a Brit or a German troop right now. No, that's bad, right? That's very bad <laughs> because that means I can only bring on British colonial troops. England's not out of the war, and I could call a truce with Germany, but it doesn't so was, actually. Did you relocate to Canada or what? Yeah, like I so I have I have brought on some forces that I can't, but I can't bring on home British troops basically so I could bring on Canadians the Poles retook Cairo from the Italians and things like that but I have all these British is your navy still sailing or did that get eliminated yeah so that was the problem I I can bring the navy on and I could make a naval landing but it's like I actually can't make a naval landing because I can't put the bulk of the British army anywhere so you can call a truce with Germany it gives them a victory point and it's the intent of, okay, Germany is now in England. Play this card. Shut things down. Well, with how the turn played out and how my reinforcements... So basically, normally England would be able to like put ships out or put planes out to interrupt the whole invasion of England, right? All of mine were stuck on the delay track, and I was locked into a card that was giving me French reinforcements. And so I couldn't get any reinforcements into England and I couldn't interrupt, interrupt his beachhead. And it was just like a perfect storm for him where I overcommitted. It was my mistake. I, if I had just left one guy in Britain, the <laughs> yeah. whole thing would have been done and over with. Sea Lion is one of those fascinating. Yeah. Well, he pulled it off. That, yeah. I mean, I wonder like how, how many times in war games in the last, it's been 80 years or whatever. Um, People have tried to do sea line and what percentage have actually succeeded. <laughs> so in, in our face-to-face game, what's interesting is England and Germany are at war and Russia and France are locked into a pact and they're sitting on the outside. That's like World like, War One, Right, right. And so <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just going to invade England then, like joking around with it. Yeah. Like, oh, no, you can't do that. And Well, shit, I, I, I messed up so bad that he completely took over England. Wow. And I'm just like, great. And the problem is, is Russia is basically, until we go to the next phase, Russia is at Germany's mercy to declare war. Basically, no one but Germany can declare war until the total war stage, basically, yeah. is is kind of the thing that's uh, tying us down. And then, so real quick, I'll just talk about uh, Dicenso, which is the Pacific Theater. Uh, we started up a Dicenso game. That's really interesting, too, because... So you're playing them separately. P- playing them separately. Okay. I would like to do a combined... Obviously, the next step is to do a combined game. The The system is fantastic. Next month, I'm sure I'll talk about it. We'll get it ranked. It's, it's very, very good. I love how systematic it is. 
everything is just bite size. If you're going to do this, there's a sub rule. You go read it and you carry it out. And then you get the system down. Real quick, what I'll say about Daisenso is what I'm realizing with the Japanese. So I'm playing the allies there as well. The Japanese player has this really tough decision of like what. Not that the Germans don't have it, but the Japanese player, like, yeah, you can go pick on these Chinese. Each Chinese province is its own nation. It's like, yeah, you can go knock them out, but then you have to march all the way across China if you really want to go after these victory points. Like, is it worth it to march all the way through China to go take India or or um, Indonesia or any of those places for these victory point hexes? Or is it better to, like, expand out into the Pacific Ocean? And right now, the Japanese player has just bashed his head against um basically the remains of Hopei um because the, the next province down and I'm forgetting their name um have basically they're able to contribute their artillery and so this this one chinese province with one city standing on the border and it's kind of the gateway into nationalist china um, is holding off the entire Japanese army because there's just enough strength there and there's just enough um, artillery commitment and his air force has been delayed and the weather in the Daisenso game is shit 90% of the time. Um, <laughs> and so there's all these limitations and he's just bashed and bashed and bashed his head against it and he can't do anything. The The Chinese nationalists are just holding super strong. He did take Nanking, though, with some bullshit card play that basically let him say, like, okay, the Japanese are here now. <laughs> so that's that's something I have to worry about. A great system, though. I would love to uh, – I know you've expressed an interest in it. I would uh, – Yeah. Yeah, as much as I love unconditional surrender of Europe, I really want to compare the two. Yeah. Well, we should sometime. Um, maybe you can jump in the combined game or something like that. We'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah, I like that. Or even just hop on and watch it for a while, if nothing else. I will say sometimes it can be pretty boring. Like early on, if no one's at war, really you're just kind of playing political events to like shape the world, right? And that's what's so great about these games. Is they're the sandbox that you can shape and develop and, uh, you know, not only carry out Operation Sea Lion, but instead of bringing Italy in as Germany's partner, maybe Germany brings Turkey into World War II. And like you want to do that because Italy's a much stronger army than turkey but it's tempting right like there's a lot of victory points down in turkey to go like you could go knock out french syria and egypt and all this stuff and then maybe drive up into russia's belly yeah right exactly so it it makes it interesting and that's what's so great about these games is there is a a lot of what if and it's a it's not as daunting as something as world in flames and it's not it's not completely sandboxy. Like, you can't have Germany and Russia be allies, right? Right. But it gets pretty close. Like, you could bring Spain in as a Western ally if you play your cards right. You know, yeah, or you could... That's kind of how Cataclysm is. Cataclysm is... I mean, you get to play out the war, but it's more about the, the stuff leading up to it. So. It's it's good stuff. Um, and I think next time I'll just talk about the mechanics and get it ranked because I've already spent two episodes talking about it. Great stuff. Um, that 2021 edition, uh, definitely an instant purchase for me. Cool. Okay. Um, should we talk about great campaigns of the American Civil War, specifically Atlanta's ours? Yeah, we've been teasing it long enough, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to let you talk about, if you're okay with this, talk about the mechanics real quick. So uh, we, we have the caveat with Silver Bayonet. Oh, 
Shit, I started, um, we didn't start the campaign game, but we're supposed to. Um, Anthony uh, and I, he's the guy I played um, Operation Pegasus with. We transitioned to Silver Bayonet finally, so hopefully I'm playing that opposed. Nice. Anyway, our rule, our rule after Silver Bayonet was like, maybe we should play the advanced game uh, yeah. opposed. You have played opposed. I played a, yes. a vassal module the first few turns of the advanced vassal module. And then I played through some of the uh, basic scenarios. And then we've obviously played other games in the series. So I, I feel like we have a little bit more knowledge than we do did about or exposure than we did with Silver Bayonet. Um, but you've been playing Opposed for a few weeks now. Yeah. So I'm going to let you talk. Knowledge, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to let you talk uh, mechanics and stuff. And I guess just real quick what I'll start with before you dive in and talk about Lena's ours is so great campaigns in the American civil war is this game series. That's been around for. Gosh. I mean, maybe even longer. Right. I mean, um, cause this is like, we're in the teens on releases. Um, so I guess it is the nineties. Stonewall Jackson's way was the first one. That's 1992. And then now we're through road to get it road roads to Gettysburg and Lena's ours. And now there's two more coming out this year. Um, so it's a, it's a series of games that is based on alternating activations between players. Um, scale. What, I guess, what is the operational? Yeah. I would call it operational and scale. I mean, a, a, a counter is usually going to be a brigade. You can break them down, right. but usually a brigade. Yeah. I would say operational. It's not commanders and army commanders. And yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably the best. Cause it's not strategic in the sense. I mean, you're not, you're not covering the whole war. Usually you're covering, right. obviously as a game will imply you're covering a, a campaign. So in Atlanta's ours, you're dealing with Sherman's drive on Atlanta and roads to Gettysburg. You're obviously dealing with the Gettysburg campaign. So you're not dealing with individual battles. You may hit individual battles field. You may fight near Gettysburg, you may, you, you know, you may carry out whatever famous battle there was, or you may not. Um, with guys I've I've heard talk about the Rose to Gettysburg campaign, like they never actually made it to Gettysburg. They fought elsewhere or whatever, and that's what's cool about them. Um, so I've played a few different titles. I've played the uh, Stonewall Jackson's Way 2, Elena's Ours, Rose to Gettysburg. They're all great value. There's a ton of stuff packed into these boxes. Super great games. We're specifically going to what I thought we would do is rank these games by individual games. So instead of ranking great commands right, of the American sure. Civil War as a whole, let's just do the individual games. So we're going to start with Atlanta's ours. And the reason we're doing that is because that's the one you happen to be playing. So that's the one I pulled off and um, started playing on Vassal. Yeah. Yeah. So Atlanta's ours. Um, it's the campaign from tennis that sherman's march to atlanta so through northern georgia down to atlanta took place 1864 i think it started in april or so um and the, if you play the full campaign three four months maybe i haven't made it that far yet to the full campaign to actually all the way from tennessee to uh to atlanta um but i'm working on it um yeah so the the basic mechanics of the game like you said alternating activation but every single time an activation comes up, both players are going to roll a die, and more or less the winner of the die roll uh, wins the activation and gets to go. Now, ties make it interesting because every single game has its own rules for ties. 
In Atlanta's ours, uh, twos and threes go to the Union, fours, fives, and sixes go to the Confederates, and ones will probably end the turn, depending on the position of the Union at the time. Um, so you could have a really quick turn, and not just the activation, but the actual turn. I mean, literally, um, there's, there's rules where each player has to get a, at least one activation, but you could only have three activations, and then you roll double ones, and if the Union's passive, up oh, next turn, the day's over. Um, so that's the basic activation system. What you can do in an activation is you can march guys, you can do an assault if you're already next to someone. If your army commander is in the right place, you can do a grand assault, which is basically a bunch of guys that are already surrounding or next to an enemy. Um, you can, like if Sherman's in the area, he can say, okay, well, all of you guys do attack at the same time. And if you roll and you roll well enough, you can send some or all of them at the same time. Um, and additionally, you can do things like burn railroads and repair railroads, burn bridges, repair bridges, stuff like that. Um, the thing that I think is really interesting about this system, like if someone were to ask me, what's the, what's the, like the number one takeaway? It's really, it's two things. One, movement is very difficult. Um, the terrain is rough. And, and when I say rough, I mean difficult to pass through. So most of the time as a war gamer, you look at a map, you're like, oh, clear terrain. I can move through that. What's the movement point? One, no, there's no road there. That's a three. And when you're rolling a single D6 to find out how much you move, you that may be a single hex move for you. Um, you look at like a rough or a forest terrain, how much is that going to be to go through if there's no road? Well, that's going to be a six. And if it's raining, it might be more. So uh, mountains are impassable completely. Basically, you have to stick on roads if you want to get anything done. Um, you may do some single hex movement here and there as kind of a final maneuver, but almost everything is going to be on roads which those get interesting too, because the roads, you know, you look at the map kind of from a wide picture and it looks like a spaghetti and there's roads everywhere, but they don't really go every hex to every hex. And that gets important too, because if you have to retreat and you can't retreat on a road, you're more likely to lose extra manpower. Um, so the roads and the movement are very important. The other thing I would say is like the big sort of takeaway from the system is the fatiguing. Um, every unit, um, you can have a fatigue level of zero, which is no marker at all, all the way up to four, which is you can't do anything at all. Um, if you get attacked, you still get to defend yourself and all that, but you can't actually activate and take any actions if you're at fatigue level four. But everything you do is going to give you fatigue. And if you fight, there's a good chance you're going to get even more fatigue, maybe even up to three at the same time. So anytime you go over to fatigue with a particular unit in a single turn, uh, that that unit is going to be exhausted the next turn. So they're going to be less effective. It's going to be harder for them to recover. But yeah, the fact that the fatigue continues to accumulate, I think is one of the best parts about the system because it really makes you take a long-term picture of what you're trying to do, which is good because these are long, long games. So the full campaign for Atlanta, um, I haven't looked at it, but it's, it's probably, I'm sure it's more than 100 turns. I think it's 124 that yeah. that first the first right. advanced game that you and I played. Yeah, right. So so you look at it, and I mean, if a lot of I mean, me is sort of as a typical war gamer, I'm thinking, okay, where do I have to go? Who do I have to take? What are my objectives? Get there, do it, do it. I don't care if you're tired, do it anyway. If you do that, you're going to blow your guys out, and you're going to lose. You have to think, and it can okay, these guys they can only move a couple times today, and then we're just going to wait for tomorrow, and we're going to move them some more. 
and it, it can be it can be frustrating, but to me it's frustrating in a good way because it's that sort of real world frustration that a general feels. Um, you know, you've got this guy that you're trying to maneuver around and get in position. Well, he just rolled a one for movement twice. So he just moved two hexes and he's done for the day unless I want to push him. That kind of stuff really happened time and time again in the Civil War. Um, you look at, you know, some of the books I've talked about reading Decision for the West. Guys just didn't show up. They're like, you're supposed to be here and you're 12 mm. miles away. It happens all the time. So where um, is Jackson? Exactly. <laughs> so. I love it because um, one of the one of the things that is sort of a, I don't know if you call it a negative or whatever to war gamer is sort of that god mode that you get. You know, you can always see the full battlefield. There's ways. There's fog of war. There's friction of war. All that stuff that people incorporate into different games, but you can usually see the big picture. So you know, well, this guy's twelve hexes away. I got to wait for him to get up there, but you don't know when he's going to get there. And I, I really. The, the role to move um, is it, it just works really well in this system. Just a, just a couple things I want to hit on that, that you mentioned. I agree with everything you said. Um, those are all key points of the game. One of the thing, and this ties into movement. I think the biggest thing that, that can be not misleading, but not apparent to players when they first start is how crucial maneuvering is in this game. And if you compare it to something like U.S. Civil War, in U.S. Civil War, you can build a giant stack, right? You can have yeah. Grant with three generals and 30 <laughs> guys in there, and you can charge forward, and you're going to kick some ass. Yeah, because you're going to get the... more dice when you do that. Right, right. And, and then in, in like something in line of battle or, or, or any other game, you can have this great line of units, and, and that's going to hold, right? Well, the scale with great campaigns of the Civil War makes it like your goal isn't, all right, I've got a giant death stack. I'm going to charge forward. No, 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 no. It's kind of those things you talked about. You need to maneuver and then make retreat difficult for them. Yep. You need to maneuver to secure flanks to get die roll benefits. Your your combat modifiers, the things that are going to make you successful in combat in this game, which we'll get to, are more about how did you maneuver, how did you activate your leaders, and like what yep. does the battlefield look like right which, now? Which leader is there? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, and the more guys that you send into the battle, the more you're going to lose. If yes. you come in... Even you if send, you do well. Yeah, you send in 18 guys, and you're attacking my stack of two guys, if everything works out and we end up with a zero on the, the dice roll column, I'm going to run away and you're probably going to lose a couple of guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? um, one thing. So I do want to go back uh, before we move to like combat and stuff. Let's talk about activation a little bit more. So we talked about that. We, we roll a die. I got the high die. I can activate it, someone to do something. You talked about assault, march, burn a bridge, whatever it is. Um, and causing them, that's going to cause them to get the fatigue levels you talked about. What's what's interesting about this game is, in the especially in the basic scenarios, which I will counter your point, the advanced scenarios are very long, hundreds of turns. They tend to go fairly quick for a game this size, I think. This, the basic scenarios can be really short. They can be one turn or two turn. Like the right. Antietam game is super short, uh, but it's a fantastic scenario. Um, which Which one is that in? That, that is, 
it's I think it's in it's in the Road to Gettysburg two oh, okay. reprint, which contains different games, right? Right. Um, so yeah, yeah you we can talked go earlier do about how huge that map is, but I oh. know there are a lot of smaller scenarios using portions mm-hmm. of the map. As well. Yep. I'll have to check out. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's so much bang for your buck, and I would you know the problem with some of these games like Stonewall Jackson's Way two is is coming back in in the print, right? Like they're going to do a new one, mm-hmm. but like it's it's cr- it was crazy expensive. Now, Road to Gettysburg itself starts out at a high price, but I'm telling you, just like Atlanta's ours, there's so much bang for your buck. If you find out you like this system, the games are worth it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, let me backtrack to maneuver real quick. So what's interesting is the fatigue level, That's you can keep going as long as you want. Especially in the so in the advanced game, you have these rules that may stop that, right? Like if you both roll ones and it's raining, and the union's passive or oh, you or mean continuing whatever to activate, right, right? Yeah, like sure, okay. So Rich is done with the union. Well, guess what? I'm going to keep pushing my guys yeah. as hard as I can to get in position, and that's that's interesting. You're you have this resource. Your men are your resource in their their current state is a resource that you spend and you can keep going as long as you want yeah but you're going to pay the price i mean you i mean hypothetically you will hit an ending point eventually when everyone hits fatigue level four but (laughs) when everyone's at fatigue level two you have a lot of maneuvering left to do if you really want to yeah and so you can if, you can if you're playing me, I hope you get everyone at the same time before because <laughs> right. I know that I've got two free turns. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good that aspect of the game, just the activations and and moving around. And you're right, yeah, movement's hard. If you get off the road, yeah. it's you're you're in trouble, brother. Um, that's so. There's there's two ways to play the game, and we've talked about it. There's basic and advanced. Yeah. Basic and itself, it seems like there's a lot of difficult stuff going on, but the the game itself is actually I would say a pretty simple game. Yeah, yeah. I mean the basic and the basic rules, um, which are the same for, for every game in the series, are I I will say it's not the easiest rule book to read. Um No, not but at all. Part of that, like especially like I think I think they're trying to be procedural on a lot of it. And sometimes the procedures don't really make sense until you've played it. Right. Like if you read I even w- the movement procedure, it's like, we'll do this and this and this. If you're reading that and you haven't played the game, it won't make sense. But once I you've agree. played the game, 100%. it makes more sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 100% agree. One of my first thoughts when I first played the game is like, this is nowhere near as difficult as the rule book made it out to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you get into the advanced game, and usually the advanced game is the the full campaign, right? Right. Your and so in Atlanta's ours, we played. Um, it's uh, to the to the Chattahoochee. Yes, to the Chattahoochee, yeah. which yeah. is the first advanced game. It's 124 turns. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there you have the whole map open to you, and you're Sherman, and you've just showed up in the northwest corner of the map, and go forth. Capture yep. these counties. Capture yep. Atlanta. Yep. Here's all these potential victory points open to you. Now go find out how to do it. And so then the advanced game is going to add in all this flavor and chrome, and it's going to add things like um, command posture, which Rich can talk about, and then supplies, and then you're bringing in caravans and depots and all these things. And so it just adds flavor, really, in my opinion. It doesn't substantially change the game. It just adds things like reinforcements and new chrome rules and yeah yeah and when it says when it says advanced rules if you're you know if you play a lot of war games i would really think of the advanced rules 
as the game-specific rules. Because it, it's really, that's what it is. What the advanced rules do, like you said, mostly they add supply rules. That's the biggest change to it. Now, it does add things like particular generals that are in that area. So these are the rules for Sherman. These are the rules for Hood. These are the rules for Johnston, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they all do have slightly different rules. Like with Hood, um, he has a better attack rating than the defense rating. So if you're attacking with him, you have a four tactical rating. If you're defending with him, it's a three. And then I think Hardy is the opposite, three, four. So there are specific rules that only affect the Atlanta campaign. But the big difference in the advanced rules in general is the supply rules. So supply rules in this game, um, if you've played OCS, it kind of looks like that. You got wagon trains and supply depots. You want to protect your supply depots. You want to move your wagon trains around. Um, I will say it seems intimidating, but two things I would call, I would say to you. First of all, being out of supply is not that bad. I mean, it's in some games, if you're out of supply, you're screwed. It's not like that in this game. Um, really, it's in, in it, Atlanta's ours, the supply phase only comes up every four turns. So whatever happens in the supply phase will basically continue until the next supply phase. You're going to have chances to try to forage during that time. Um, it won't be until the next supply phase that bad things start happening due for being out of supply. Now, there are cohesion rules in Atlanta as ours, which basically means you need to keep your commanders close to Sherman. If not, they're not going to be able to do anything. So that one, I think, is interesting um, because if you know anything about the Atlanta campaign historically, basically Johnston kept entrenching and finding strong spots and Sherman with a few exceptions just basically refused to attack him. I mean, he did mm -hmm. do a few frontal assaults and they were almost universally terrible for him. Um, but for the most part, he's like, well, I'll just go around and I'll just keep yep. flanking you and keep flanking you and keep flanking you, which makes sense because like you said, you have a huge map, you have all the room in the world to do. You can just march around. Um, but the problem with that is if you get too far from Sherman, your guys are going to stop being useful. So um, it's an interesting balancing act that you have to do as a union to try to, A, keep your guys in supply as best as possible, B, not throw yourself up against defenses, which that's another thing in the, in the series in general, how much you can, how fast you can build uh, breastworks and, and forts and all that depends on the year. In 1864, you can do you can go to a full fort in three turns um and that is tough to break into so it makes sense for the the confederate to find strong spots defend them and it makes sense for the union to historically do what sherman did and say well screw that i'll just go around uh real quick just real quick going back to supply um honestly it's really not even that big a deal. Yeah, in Atlanta, I mean, it, it is a big deal, but you're only checking every four turns in Atlanta. Right. Ours. And it, it was what, seven in on to Richmond? Yep. It was seven in on to Richmond, every four in Atlanta's ours. And, like and so, said, and then, go ahead. No, like, like you said, it's, it's not that bad. It's depending on what other games you have played, you may look at it and be like, oh crap, I can't get out of supply. It's a death sentence. That's really not. It's bad, right. but it's not terrible. So, so one thing that, and I don't, I don't know if it, it, it's bad or, or frustrating, and we talked about it a little bit in your recap, recounting your experience, but there's this whole concept of the union player has to track their, 
um, their command status and they can be passive or active. Yeah. Right. And, and passive basically represents what happened during the civil war. Like these guys are out forging or it takes these guys to come up from the rear, just basic natural delays. I mean, it's not, it's not so much that I guess maybe with McClellan and on to Richmond, not so much like, Oh, we don't want to attack. It's there's some kind of grant. Something is causing this delay is kind of what the passive status represents. And so the, the union player has to manage these basically spend spending command points. If he wants to get off his high horse and start doing something. Yeah. And in Atlanta, as ours specifically, I think they're trying to model communication lines as well, right? Because yeah. it depends on cohesion you know, if you're close to Sherman, you're going to get more command points that you didn't have to spend to get into an active mode. Yeah, and I think they talk about that in the Lana's Ours deal where, well, specifically that, that command structure comes from on to Richmond. I mean, that was in an on to Richmond rule, and they've adopted it in Atlanta's Ours. And it they, they specifically point out it's not so much Sherman's lack of not wanting to attack. And they say, yeah, sometimes he didn't, but really it represents all these other, other things. Um, let's talk about combat, I guess. Yeah, so combat is interesting. Like you said, um, again, as a war gamer, looking at it, if you've ever played before, the first thing you think is, okay, well, I'm going to get some odds. He's got six guys there. I need to make sure I bring 18. I got to get three to one. I got to get two to one, whatever. Um, you are much better attacking one to two or one to three if you get a lot of die roll modifiers. It's just going to be better for you. Um, if you can get some flanking bonuses, if you can get a good leader in play, um, if you can force him to retreat for some bad hexes, you're going to enjoy your results a lot more rather than if you just try to send 18 guys after him in a front full time. So, right, because your final result right. is, the, is the final modifier. Right. Uh, the way it works so, yep, is basically both players are going to come up with a die roll modifier, and there's... There's some pluses and minuses for the defender and some for the attacker. I always just do everything as a plus minus for the attacker because it's easier that way. So then the attacker is going to roll his die, add whatever his or subtract his final number. The defender is going to roll a die and subtract that from the attacker's number. And you're going to come up with a number like two plus two or minus two or zero or whatever. And then both guys are going to apply their effects based on the number of guys that they had in that combat. So if I sent 18 and I rolled a plus two, I'll probably like lose two guys and take some fatigue. And then if you mm -hmm. had six guys in there, you're going to use that same plus two number. You're probably going to retreat and become disorganized. I don't have a chart in front of me, but probably something right. like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so it's it's pretty straightforward. It can be once you start talking about like the nine flanks and the, the um, you know, considering how many flanks are covered and stuff, it can be intimidating. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really a straightforward. I think one of the, the most unstraightforward things is launching assaults and seeing how many guys you actually, or how many hexes you activate to participate in the attack, whether you're doing an assault to activate each individual unit or a grand assault to activate different hexes. Um, that's, that's a little, and really once you do it once, it's not that bad. That's not as, um, familiar but the combat system is i don't know i just i just love it when i played antietam i felt like the battles were like they had to get over the creek because and it's not the end all be all like you can get over the creeks if you want to but it just terrain 
feels good to me here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another thing that feels good. I don't. I don't know if there's really a whole lot more to say about combat, but I. I've heard you remark on this, and I've said it before, and I agree a hundred percent. Is cavalry is handled brilliantly in yep. this game. That was the next thing I was going to say. This is my favorite game ever for how cav is handled. Um, it seems like, and I know part of this is because at this time in warfare, you know, um, the age of the Napoleonic charge was over um, because basically rifles got better. Um, but despite that, guys on horses still thought it would be cool to charge on horses, and a lot of them got killed that way. Um, but this game has cavalry make a lot of sense. Basically, you can have usually cavalry units are one strength. Some of them are two strength. The Confederate ones are better than the Union ones. They can move a little faster, um, but they all work basically the same way. They work as screening. You can use them to defend your flanks, defend a, a, a key crossroad or a river crossing or something like that. And basically, you set them out there on the map. You set them where you think your enemy is going to want to move. And as soon as he moves next to you, you get to retreat automatically. Um, there is a chance that you could lose guys in it. It's basically a one in six chance. But probably what's going to happen is you're going to take movement points away from mm -hmm. them. So you're actually really are screening their movement. You're stopping them from... And again, like I said, your movement is probably going to be, for most guys, a 1d6 die roll. Um, there's sometimes modifiers, plus one, minus one, depending on different things. Um, but basically, so if you're looking at an average movement of three or four, and then a cavalry can take away one or two of those movement points, again, it's already hard to move in this game. Cavalry makes it even harder. Yep. It, the, the one thing I wish it did, which, like, I don't even know how you would do it, is, like, in the Gettysburg campaign, the cavalry kept the Union forces from really being able to tell where the Confederates were going. So, like, you don't have any kind of real fog of war here. Like, there's no blind right. movement or anything. Yep. But that concept of eating the, the movement as they're charging forward is, like, perfect. Because yeah. you can go send your cavalry way up north to hold some bridge or a ford or, or something like that. Just keep them from coming over the creek or a river or whatever. And it's just so devastating if you get a successful cavalry treat that eats away their movement that they needed. And it's 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 great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. I haven't played this way, but I've been considering playing it this way with my friend in the future. They do have force markers. They have 10 force markers for each side. Mm -hmm. And you could put a force marker on the map and there's an optional fog of war rule mm -hmm. where, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't remember what the exact thing is, but you know, he may see a force marker. He knows something's up there, but he has no idea if that's a core or a sub brigade or whatever um, until I guess he actually gets close to it or fights it or whatever. But it's, you know, fog of war is always tough to do in a war game, but there is a way to incorporate that into yeah i haven't looked at those rules so i don't know how well that would be really yeah. interesting especially in something like what we talked about is you basically have a grocery list of victory points whether it's eliminating confederate forces or union forces or whatever yeah. but as a union player as, as you as you storm in atlanta's worth a shit ton of points right but so are all these counties right. so hypothetically i guess you could probably win without taking atlanta i i don't know what the math is i'm i'm sure you could get a favorable result so with that yeah. in mind if you had hidden forces yeah where is where's sherman's army going that would be i yeah. should look at those huh uh and there's like there's other things like in 
you know, there's train movement, and I guess the Union players specifically moving his train line forward, which I did like that in Songrad 42. And it's neat here, like, um, as a Union, you the railhead marker. Yeah, you need to clear the yeah. Western and Atlantic Railroad. You can't just completely skirt it, or I imagine you're going to have trouble. Yeah. Which my current opponent, he's that's where he's running into problem because it runs right through Rocky face Ridge, <laughs> And I've got that well defended. He's, he's got a lot of guys that are just really bothering me and close to Osaka and Dalton, which is sort of like the first major fallback point mm-hmm. for me. Um, it's going to get really interesting to see what happens because he's, he's going to have trouble getting supplies up, but I'm running into trouble too. It's just, I mean, it's, it's it, like it should be. It, it could go either way. It's, it's, it's well balanced. I think one, just in this kind of just pops in my head now is one complaint may be, is the maps are the maps are busy. I love the map art, but you can get lost really quick. You can lose track of county seats, which are basically you need to control those yeah, towns. Yeah, those are tiny little red stars. Yeah. Right, and it's it's better on the newer stuff for sure. Um, so what that means is, as a newer player, if you're d- diving into an advanced game. I imagine it could be tough. I mean, well, I know it is because yeah. I didn't, you don't know where to go. And that's, I, I talked about this before is the excruciating decisions. Once you, even in the smaller scenarios, there's so many places to go and different ways you could approach that your decisions are super crucial in the, in Tedium game. It's like, okay, where do I, where do I try to hold the Creek or in our on to Richmond game? Like, all right, which parts of the river should we try to defend? Should we fall back to the next river? Where do we make our stand? And on Richmond, gosh, as the Confederate player, you basically have some opening moves in the advanced game that you can do first. And it's like, gosh, where do I do I hold Rocky Face? Do I fall back on the other side of the Ostanula, whatever the river is called? Where do I go? And that's yeah. that's which which. Which ferries do I want to yes. defend? Which ones do I want to destroy? Right. Yep. It's so good. And it's the same thing in the U.S. Civil War that I like so much. You have – so it's a it's an area of history that I love, obviously. And then you have interesting decisions to be made because I think there's – yeah, there's probably an ideal approach for everything. Um, but I'm not smart enough to identify them. So even if you're making a tough decision, it feels like your decision is is the right thing to do. I'm sure if you fell back on the east side of the river, yeah, you're going to put up a tough defense there. I don't know if it's the best thing to do. Does that? Um, it's great. I love the decisions. Like what what terrain am I going to try to hold? How am I going to maneuver these guys? Do I push these guys one more time? Those are all tough decisions you have to make throughout this game. Um, yeah, and I I think where I was One going was interesting thing about the Atlanta map too um, is that it's it's two maps and they're both regular size twenty two by thirty four I think or probably whatever but they're they're end to end so it's one long map instead of most games you know you would see two maps kind of make up sort of square together but um, yeah I thought that was interesting thing about this map because basically it's it's the entire area between Chattanooga and. Um, I, I know where I was going with that now. It it would be nice to highlight where do you go. So you have these decisions. And it was the same thing in Fleet. When we played Fleet for the first time, not being able to visualize, like, what are my victory objectives? So if there was some <laughs> way, if you brought in a new player, like, highlight all the county seats, like, put a little disc on them more. Because there's yeah. so many ways to earn victory points. I think it can be hard. It was hard for me. Like, what do I need to do to win? 
in our den 44 it's got a, a busy map just because there's so much forest on it but they do a good job of i think they put like a like a gray hex outline on on the victory hexes so yeah something like that would probably be good it's just a little thing it's, it's something i've noticed like like i said with fleet it's like dang there's a there's a shopping list of ways to get points and that's true here so when you have so many choices, I think as a new player, it can be like, what's the sound decision? What's worth going for? What's worth attacking? What's worth defending? Um, yeah, and those, count, those county seats are important because they allow you to push supplies mm-hmm. on the railroad for a county, which you can't do if you don't control a county. You can go into the county, but you can't go out. Go out. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay, so that's uh, we covered a lot of the general. Those rules have been standardized through all dozen games or whatever there are now, right? Um, and so those yeah, are, and the, and then there's specific the rules, right? I mean the the maneuver and combat, all that stuff is uh, is basic. Anything else that you want to specifically say rule wise from Atlanta's ours? Rule wise. No, I think it's interesting. I already mentioned this one that, you know, you've got guys like Hood and Hardy with different attack and defense mm-hmm. ratings. Um, it does have a rule as you get toward the end of the campaign, basically, when U- Union does close in on Atlanta. Um, at that point, Johnston is going to get fired and Hood is going to mm-hmm. get placed in charge. And then after that, you can actually do some special like Hood attacks where you get plus attack bonuses and stuff like that. Um, Johnston, as a, as a, um, you know, noticing how much he kept retreating, you get special night mm-hmm. marches with Johnson. So, um, yeah, there, there's stuff like that in there as well, which I think is cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's, I mean, from what I've seen from the series, I only own Atlanta's ours and Reds of Gettysburg. I'll get the new games as they come out, obviously. Um, but they just, they just add Chrome and, and specific rules that I really feel like when I played in Tedem. I felt like I was playing in Tedem on to Richmond, yeah. man. It, it just felt like that little taste of it. I got is like, this feels like the peninsula campaign. Like you have gunboats and we need to hold these forts and hold the rivers. And, uh, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Um, so if the rules are covered, just a quick, a couple specifics about Atlanta's ours that we probably should have mentioned first. And I forgot is so originally the series was designed by Joseph Bukowski, right? And then ever since MMP took it, Ed beach has basically been the head designer. And then most of the maps, the older maps are Charles Kibler arts. And I think the new maps are all Nicholas Scooby arts. I don't know if they work together. Um, and we talk about how much is in these boxes just in Atlanta's ours. There's like 20 scenarios that you could play. Through. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's like five of them are advanced, but but honestly, it, it, the advanced ones, there's really there's there's one long campaign scenario that's everything, and then all the other advanced ones are really just like subsets of that one. Which it was kind of the actual campaign was divided into phases. Basically, there's two or three rivers in between that they had to cross to get to Atlanta. The last one was Chattahoochee. The first one was the Ustanala or something like that. Ustanala, um, but basically, right, yeah. it just kind of divides it into those phases. So. We we hit on a lot of pros, uh, cavalry maneuvering. Yeah, all of those things. Cons, I, the shopping listing. That's that's one of them. Um, I, the rule book, it's not ideal yeah, for learning the first time. Um, but again, once you see it. I think it's a great 
I, I can't really think of yeah. any other cons though. So there are a couple things in the scenarios that, that feel a little gamey to me. Okay. Um, I, and I know why they did it, but it still feels gamey for a game that is such a great sandbox. Um, for, so for example, um, in the, onto the, onto the Chattahoochee River, to the Chattahoochee one. Um, there's a couple spaces that the Union is just literally not allowed mm -hmm. to go into for four turns. And the Confederates, they've got like one guy in a fort there, and he defends as if he's infinite. Union's just not allowed to go into that space. There's another space they're not allowed to go into. Um, the reason they did that is because basically if McPherson had done what he had supposed mm -hmm. to do in the first place, that campaign would have never happened because they would have completely surrounded him and destroyed him on day one. Um, McPherson, that was like one of his two big screw-ups in the campaign. So I think they're, they made it gamey because otherwise there's no game. But it's still a little frustrating because if you're playing the Union player, like, there's one guy there and I've got an army here. Why can't I go there? Right. So I, I get it, but it's if there's a con, that's one of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... The price point, I mean, it's everything expensive yeah. these days, but these are really expensive war games. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you need, like, if you're just a little, like, if you, yeah, this game's fine. I don't know if you need anything like, something like Roads to Gettysburg, which combines a few different titles into one, meaning so you're going to cover a wide period of the war. Yeah, you may just be fine with one of them. But that's like now I'm like really nitpicking because I don't know if I've ever really criticized a price before unless like the components are shit or something Compass. like that. Compass is the only one I ever criticized. Yeah. They're not a new sponsor, are they? Golly, <laughs> no. I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything yeah. else. I guess the other con is uh, miniature market doesn't carry MMP, yeah. so I've got to order it straight from them. <laughs> yeah, or catch it on cool stuff if you're lucky. I never even checked that. Yeah, sometimes they get them. I mean, they'll have them in stock sometimes, and if like you get one of their big sales, you can get a nice deal on them. Support your local right. game store, folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so one thing we 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 skipped over, which is which is too bad. I think I was so excited to talk about this game, um, and we'll get to recommended reading. But like the historical setting, so we t we talked about this. This is Sherman's Drive on Atlanta, uh, very famous campaign. I guess. What do you want to talk about, like historical wise? Anything? Yeah, I mean the book "Decision in the West." I've I've mentioned before, it's really well written. It's it's written in. I've never read a history book that's written in the present tense before, which I think is cool. Um, it's just it's got a slightly different feeling to it. But it goes into, I mean, it, they talk about all the movement of the troops and the battles and everything. But they also talk about the politics. There's a lot of background stuff going on between Jefferson Davis and Johnston. Um, hated each other, mm -hmm. um, and there's even some really interesting stuff that I had no idea about going on between Braxton Bragg and Hood. So basically, when when it came time and Davis finally decided, I'm going to pull the trigger on Johnson and fire him, he wrote to Lee, Robert E. Lee, and he said, hey, I'm getting rid of Johnson. He's not doing the job. Who do you recommend? And Lee, he kind of couched it. He was like, I don't, you know, they both got problems, but I think Hardy is your guy. And basically Bragg, not Hardy. Um, yeah, Hardy. Yeah. Bragg went down there because Bragg was the, I think the army chief of staff at the time. He had already been fired mm -hmm. from Johnston's job. 
<laughs> and got promoted, got fired up. And basically he went down and sort of politically maneuvered because he hated Hardy and got uh, Hood promoted instead. So there's been some interesting stuff there. Sherman definitely had some favorites and some guys that he didn't like as well. And it goes into that as well. So there's some cool stuff in there about some of the, the politics involved in the generals, which, I mean, I everyone knows it happens. But it's just crazy to think that during a war, people are still acting like that. Foot's book yeah. goes into a lot of that on both sides. I mean, he gets his, and it's rightfully, the criticism is right. I mean, Shelby Foot yeah. is, we, we've talked about it, right? I mean, he's uh, he's an unashamed uh, lost <laughs> causes and, and, and all that crap. I'm yeah. not going to get into it. Um, but it does cover that, like, the pettiness of the upper leadership of, and just political favors and stuff. Yeah, it was going on. Uh, yeah, because this was also, like, Sherman was mad at Thomas during this time, right? Like, was he taking yes. too long? I'm, I'm trying to think back. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read. There, was, there read were a lot that, of personality but... conflicts. Between oh, them. sure. They just didn't like each other for a lot of reasons. Um, I love Thomas. And then, He's like one of my I said, I mentioned earlier, but McPherson, McPherson is the one that kept screwing up. Right. And Sherman was pretty gentle with them. Like, he'd call him out. He'd be like, yeah, you screwed this one up. But he didn't. He didn't like go after him like he, he annoyed some of the other guys. So, yeah, I don't know if there's really anything to be like. So, I guess for anyone not familiar with the American Civil War, this is this is obviously late war. Grant and Lee are in their final slugfest, basically. When does this start? So this, this starts is, May. This starts this early. This is April '64. Starts in April. Okay, so this is right before Battle of Wilderness. So you would be covering the same time period when uh, we had the wilderness and then eventually right after the wilderness, basically um, Lee and Grant maneuver themselves into Cold Harbor and yeah. Petersburg and all those stuff. And so it's end of the war. Lee and Grant are doing their thing. And then Sherman comes storming out. of. Um... So what's interesting to me is like the Confederates had like things just collapsed for them in the West. I don't, I don't know if that's covered so much in your decision in the West, but, but to me, like, after Chattanooga, like, it's so interesting how s- things seem to be going okay. And then, Yeah, this one starts after that. So this one starts after Chattanooga, after what would be Battle in the Clouds and GCACW. But it's interesting because of the whole, you know, like the wilderness campaign and all that, um, 1864 stuff, the drive on Richmond. Um, these two campaigns, very much affected each other mm-hmm. because yep. basically Grant and Sherman got together right before all this started. And Grant said to Sherman, he's like, basically said, I don't even need you to take Atlanta. What I need you to do is make sure that they can't reinforce it. Yep. Right. So I need you to make them nervous. And then at some point it got to where Sherman was doing really well. He's basically on the outskirts of Atlanta and they're wondering if Grant's going to lose at this point. Right. They're like crap. Lee is holding him off now. You know, now it looks like Sherman is the one that's going to that's going to take Atlanta, which I think he I can't remember the exact timing. I think he did take Atlanta before Richmond fell. But at that point, Sherman's oh, yeah. like, I got this. And Grant is the one that needs to worry now. So um, and then also at that time, early also very briefly invaded D.C., which I had forgotten about. He didn't do much. There's the new line of battle, which that the that's the line of battle entry I've played. And early, you're right. He he drives north, and then there was a shot like into the, 
um, like I think there was a Ford or some kind of defensive position, right? And it goes like near yeah. Lincoln, which is great, oh, like a shot yeah. from a Confederate soldier. <laughs> um, have you read much on the Overland campaign? So over- I have not, but you know, I was actually just looking at some other books, and there's an author called Bruce Catton, C A T T O N, and it looks like he's got some good stuff. The if if you wanted, so I bought the entire Raya, which is like the go-to for Overland campaign. So it's interesting about yeah. that. So Overland campaign is is and Grant Lee, right? And so you're right, kind of tying this back in, I guess, is Grant and Lee are doing this pivot thing where Grant lunges forward, gets his ass kicked. I mean, just awful casualties, and then pivots around. And then um, Lee shifts. And then same thing just over and over again, just takes heavy, heavy casualties. And then, so you're right, yeah, it's like, well, shit, what's, what the heck's going on in Richmond? And then you're right, here comes yeah. Sherman. And then, and of then, course, Sherman storms past and goes on to, to uh, South Carolina and all that stuff. Yeah, and they do talk about this a little bit in the book, too. But, you know, my... Definitely Sherman is Grant's disciple. Um, Johnston, not so much about Lee. Really, Hood is more. So after Hood takes over, both of them, you can kind of see, like, trying to emulate the guy that they want to be. So it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if there's really anything to say after that. Yeah, uh, Sherman went on and... Um, made it to Savannah. Yeah. I made it to the sea, and then he he drove up north through the the Carolinas. And yep, for your historical setting, um, yeah. So let's talk about recommended reading. I think we both hit on our books. I haven't read Decision in the West. I've heard it's great. You've obviously spoken very highly of it. Yeah, and then I'll go to my. So I haven't read anything really in any Western theater specific stuff other than Shelby Foote's work. So I'll turn to that again. Again, yeah. it's got its There's flaw. also some if if you want if you want like brief, you know, not not super in depth or anything. There's some YouTube videos out there that are good too. There's a there's a one called what's it called like the American the American Historical Society or something like that. Let me try to remember what they're called. Um, this have to get American Battlefield Trust. It's a YouTube channel. And they've got a lot of uh, they've got a good lot of good short stuff on different civil war battles and campaigns. They've got Revolutionary War as well, so um, that's a that's another good quick resource, just to kind of get an idea of what was going on in context. Nice. Uh, anything else to say about the game or the historical setting or any of that stuff? No, it's fascinating. I mean, it really, every time I play these games, and I think part of the reason I'm getting so interested in Civil War and starting to look at American Revolution too is because I have a much higher chance of actually seeing some of these places. So it makes me want to go do more battlefield sites. I've done a couple, but I, I'd like to do more. Yep, I agree 100%. I, I need to go down to, like, Arkansas and do, um... Oh, my gosh, the name's escaping me. <laughs> from um, Battle Hill. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, P- P- Ridge. Yes, thank you very P- much. Ridge. P Ridge. Yeah. Um just cuz yeah. it's it's within a day's drive I could probably knock out most of it and get back late at night. Yeah. Yeah, we had talked about doing that this spring and then corona happened. <laughs> okay, I think um I guess it's time to rank this bad boy. This is the hardest part, isn't it? I don't know. I'm like I think I've talked about this, and maybe, maybe I have. Well, no, I talked about it with Next Warnos, yes, right? 
So my point with Next War India-Pakistan was I don't think it's the best. I haven't played them. I don't think it's the best Next War entry. I thought that Beyond the Rhine was one of the best OCS entries that I've played, and I think that'll hold true. Yeah. Still haven't played Beyond the Rhine. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, so it's, I would definitely put it above Next War India-Pakistan. Okay. Um, I haven't played Beyond the Rhine, so I can't rank it there. Well, which that puts it at Red Storm, which, man, I tell you, that's that's neck and neck right there. Okay, so, they are both really good. So my question, so we may have a if you don't think it's better than Red Storm, we'll see how you feel. Um, I think this is better than Beyond the Rhine. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, I haven't played it. Um, have you played OCS? Or have you just dabbed, um, dabbed I, in the rules? Because so I know I, you're I, I on this dabbled. quest to so like I've get dabbled. it right. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah, I've played around with it. I started started messing around with it and several times. Um, haven't haven't gotten to where I would actually say I've played. Mm, man, they are both. Oh, they're like that's like when you're dealing with the top of this list. That's like the cream of the crop, right? Okay, so let me let me ask you this because you've played it now. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You think it's better than the U.S. Civil War? Yes. But yeah, but you and I, I, I wouldn't, Civil War is not my top game of all time. I love it. It's very good. I understand why you have it there. It wouldn't be my first. So, but I, yes, I would rather play this than the U.S. Civil War. Really? Yep. Well, you know, by. <laughs> I know. No, See, I this can't is the do problem with two it. people in one list. No, no, no. There's no problem. We can reach a informed, <laughs> objective decision here. Ranked choice voting. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just for everyone's sake, and so we don't bore them to death, we're looking at the top three spots, right? So U.S. Civil War's yeah. first. Followed Beyond the Rhine, followed by Red Storm. Hey, this is better than Red Storm for me. I haven't played Red Storm, but I guarantee you this is more. Um, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's better Beyond the Rhine. The biggest issue with OCS, hands down, no doubt about it. And I'm not saying it couldn't happen with great campaigns in the American Civil War, but at least your probabilities are it won't. Is the downtime. I mean, yeah. good God. I mean, we got through four, <laughs> either four or six, I don't remember anymore, turns over a four-day yeah. period. And that's all we played for eight hours a day. Yeah. OCS makes great play by email because you're like, okay, just do your thing and let me know when you're done. Right. <laughs> Whereas this one is definitely more interactive. Like, you could seriously play two mirror games and take different sides and like, all right, go do your turn over there. I'll take my turn <laughs> over here and switch. I mean, you could. And probably have a great time because it's a great system. This is so much more interactive and there's so much less downtime. And that's true with, if you compare it to next war too, I mean, some of those next war turns can be very long. It's not near as bad as OCS and keeping that in mind. I think great campaigns is maybe a better system and this is probably a better game. They're both fantastic games. Someone's going to take that the wrong way. I just guarantee it. In my opinion, in my completely objective opinion, <laughs> this is better than Beyond the Rhine. Now you have to sell me on if it's better than the U.S. Civil War or not. And that's an impossible task. Mm. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of an argument that would sway you, and I don't think I could. It's, it's, it's so hard. I mean, 
they're both they're both great games. You d- you know what and, would sway me, right? And and okay, so here's another thing. Okay, here's here's actually this is one that would not sway you. It would actually be an argument for you. I have talked many many times about how it was uh, how the uh, it was just uh, I thought the Civil War victory conditions were broken and it was too hard for the Union until I had a guy completely dismantle me as the Confederacy <laughs> and beat me in like four terms. So I'm starting to wonder if maybe the problem is my skill level. Um, oh, no, it can't be that. U.S. Civil War or Atlanta is ours. Here, here's what I'm going to say. So here's the, okay, here's here's what I will yep, say. Go ahead. And I, I will go ahead and, and allow civil, U.S. Civil War to be first, and here's why. Um, I love, I love the big picture I don't know why. It seems like lately I'm getting more away from tactical games. Um, like ASL is still my favorite game to play, but part of that is because you can play ASL in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like sitting down. I mean, it's just it's so much squeezed into that little board there. Um, but I'm I'm really starting to like the big picture games more and more. Obviously, U.S. Civil War is bigger picture than Atlanta's are. So. Here's what I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say number two. Do you agree? Do you like this more than Red Storm? Yes, okay. I think so. I think it edges out Red Storm for me, and I love Red Storm. Okay, and you haven't played Beyond the Rhine. We can always address this at the end of the year. Right. Uh, we're gonna put it at number two for now, and one reason why this doesn't this is close to overcoming U.S. Civil War. I agree 100. percent The system is fantastic. It's so, and it's relatively new player friendly if someone doesn't have the rules you could just say okay hey roll a die okay that's how many hexes these guys can go right i mean there's not a whole lot of explaining you have to do to really get someone up and going atlanta isn't my favorite campaign now so actually that was going to be my follow-up question for you is do you think that like without even having played them all just in general which one do you think you would like the best um I don't know. I don't know if the Gettysburg campaign. I, I mean, like historically, I think the Atlanta campaign may be more f- fun. Whereas obviously the Gettysburg is so. I don't know if I like Gettysburg more. The one that I think may give it a run for its money is Battle Above the Clouds, which yeah. is Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, and as much as I loved On to Richmond, honestly, I think that one might play better as a solo, just because it's so frustrating for the Union. Whereas Atlanta feels better balanced. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know about Manassas. So what's interesting is Manassas has never been a big thing for me. Um, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know why. Maybe like Stonewall in the Valley could do it, especially like with the reprint coming. Um, yeah, that one. That's an amazing, I mean, that's just an amazing campaign in general. Right. So that would be that would be good. Those would be the two that really give a run for the money. I mean, I could go through the whole series and, and probably like maybe identify some more if I if I really wanted to. I think the biggest one may be Battle Above the Clouds, um, which I haven't played, and maybe that's what we should do. We should play that campaign. All right, I'm gonna put it at number two. Sounds good. All right, Atlanta. Let's put that on there. It's official. Until we adjust. All right, Atlanta's is the number two war game of all time. Excellent. I'm I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, it's a good fit. Okay, great. 
um, so what I thought we would do, and, and we talked about this a little bit last time, is, yeah, if, if there was anything else just in general you wanted to talk about, last time I talked about some RPGs I've been playing, if you've made some fun drinks, if you're drinking some good scotch, if you listen to some good music, if you read a good book, or, well, I guess we talked about books already, if you watch a good show or whatever, uh, just some garbage time. Um, so this is the close of our show. After this point, there's nothing going to be war game, substantive war game talk after this. So you're not going to miss anything if you want to tune out now. But I just, uh, Rich and I obviously uh, we're people with hobbies, and we have a podcast, so we're people with hobbies that like to talk about our hobbies. So I figured we might want to talk about our other hobbies. Um, yeah, as far as RPGs, my uh, my daughter she's got two weeks left in school, which I say in school, everything's online right now. She's in college, she's a freshman in college, and she's totally stressed out because she's got finals and everything. So she's kind of freaking out, and I'm not really playing many games with her right now, but. I told her and my wife and our, our little one as well, we're like, hey, after school, let's start up an RPG. So I'm not really sure what I want to do with that yet. Um, I had some ideas. Tales from the Loop sounded really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about trying that system out. Um, we could always go to a standard. But I know probably the system that I know the best is FFG's Star Wars system or okay. that or DMD. So we might just do one of those or might try something different. I thought it might be fun to try Tales from the Loop and kind of do like kind of a mystery thing. Tales from the Loop is great. And so what I've, when I played it, it, I think we did Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, it's, it's got this whole world where yeah. there's robot rules and there's this hyper loop particle accelerator, whatever it is. I don't even remember, but you could, you could pull whatever interests you and make it like Stranger Things. You don't have to have these robots walking around or these giant freight <laughs> machines or, or whatever. And it's a great system. I think if you're thinking about checking it out, I would definitely recommend it. Um, so I'm checking out... So I'm working on a few different things. I, I'm playing the Alien RPG, which uses the same kind of mechanic. It's a die pool, and you're looking for sixes. And you can push your... Uh, you can push your roll, and if you push too hard, bad things will happen to you. Same thing in Tales from the Loop. So is this... Alien, as in like the Alien movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and that's, right. and that's that's been going really well. Really enjoying that. Um, and then, so I watched this. I talked about the show, right? And the sense of adventure and treasure hunt, and murder, and all this stuff was fantastic. And it was set in Outer Banks. The show is actually called Outer Banks, and that's one of my fa- my wife and I's favorite places to go in the whole world. Outer Banks is beautiful. And this show captured, it wasn't filmed in Outer Banks, but it captured the feel of it. And then it told this wonderful story of adventure and treasure hunting shit. And I was like, I want to run that as an RPG. Um, the show, if you can get past the melodrama and like teens falling in love after a day and like willing to die for each other, which is complete bullshit. If you can get past the melodrama, <laughs> I love the show. Like once we were done, I was like, I could watch more Outer Banks. Um, mm. But just know it's probably only okay. Um, and so that's, I'm really excited for that. I'm, I'm setting that up and l- looking for players now and, and it should be a, a really good time and yeah, it's good stuff. Cool. Are we ever going to play Witchburner again? Yes. So you and I played or did, Witchburner. Or did our 30 days, did no. our 30 days run out? <laughs> no. So, um, I, basically what happened was, um, one, I got busy Two, I had like a million doodles out. And so I didn't want to send other doodles out and then have dates conflict. So I will get a calendar oh, okay. out um, to get us back into Witchburner. Which, um, so Rich and I played Witchburner, which is system agnostic. We talked about it. It was great fun. 
Uh, he and another guy named Jeff did a fantastic job. It's just the three of us. Uh, I thought that first session was fantastic. I don't know about you guys. I went back and edited and listened. I listened had a good time. That. I have no idea if it's fantastic because it was just it was so weird and we have no idea if we made any progress at all. Oh, it's just getting weirder, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I mean, it's, I like, I love that you said, you know, don't look it up. Don't read anything on it. Just go into it. Tabula rasa. And I'm just sort of experiencing it. I'm even kind of, I mean, you know, my character was even developing as I went, where he's just becoming like this bullshit artist who doesn't really know anything. Oh, it's so it. good. So yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, they're witch burners, right? And so I told, um, I told the the players to go, like, all right, develop these guys. Like, this is your job. Like, you're brought in to to hunt these witches. And then Rich has come up with this beautiful character <laughs> that's just like, oh yeah, you need like garlic and all spice like he just bullshits whatever he's he's the guy that did really well at the interview but doesn't actually know anything <laughs> right like all of his shit is fake any cure for a witch remove it's so good and it came out of nowhere I, I love your character and so then you've got this like sleazeball like bullshitter yeah. and then he's partnered with like a guy that is that bought in completely to his bullshit, right? Like you're his mentor, and then he just beats the shit out of people too, and it's it's really uh, fun. If if you're at all interested, if you, I don't know how much listening enjoyment there is. Our first episode of Witchburner should be up to listen to on the Alcoholic Adventures Cabal. It's aac.podbean.com. I assume within the next month, there's a, a bunch of stuff comes out on that feed. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that much of a backlog. I took, so I part of the problem, yeah. part of the problem was I got way behind on my editing RPG stuff. And then wow. I just sat down last week when I, when I had some time and, and knocked it out, which I'm glad I did because it kind of got me back into like, I'd fizzled and lost some like drive. And then as soon as I started listening through Witchburner again, I was like, Oh shit! Yeah, we gotta get back to this. It's so good. So, if you're at all interested, well, once we finish up, you'll have to give me the link to what you listened to because sometimes it's 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 cool to hear the same story go different ways. No, I, I'm talking about ours. I haven't heard anyone play Witchburner. Oh, there, okay, there okay. is. I thought maybe you heard it. On um, podcast. Jason had oh, on AAC had mentioned. Um, I think he mentioned, or maybe, um, maybe Michael Michael from. Rallying the Valley, one of them mentioned, I thought, that they, one of the podcasts they listened to was doing Witchburner. So, yeah, I would be too. I'd be really interested to hear someone else take this and where did they go? How did their yeah. story shape out? And so, yeah, I really, once we're done, I want to have a, a, a post-mortem where we just go through and like, okay, here's what you guys did and here's here's this and how that tied in. It would be fun. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying role playing. I wish I had this experience as a kid growing up. Like, I feel like I missed out on, on things. And it seemed like, like I was a fairly nerdy kid in high school. Like I was in uh, plays and musicals and I played video games and hung out with video game guys and pl hung out with guys that played World of Warcraft and stuff. But I don't, other than one time after a cast party, as nerdy as that sounds, uh, playing a role playing game, like I didn't have any exposure to it. I, plenty of exposure to magic the gathering and all that stuff but no i i feel like i missed out i would love to have done this as a kid yeah that's good stuff and i'm, I'm glad that uh, of my three daughters two of them like it i mean that the third one she did a little bit with every now and then but no one really into it but the other two seem to really enjoy it so 
Nice. Yeah, if you, if you so in a couple so when we come back next month, I'll expect to hear about your uh, family campaign. Hopefully, you've decided to do something, get up and running. Yes, I think we probably will. Probably in a couple weeks. Nice. Good. <laughs> okay, Rich. It was a pleasure, cool. buddy. Yeah, it's always fun. Okay. Um, if you have any comments or questions or concerns, it's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's historytablepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Matt Peterson. You can find me on Twitter at historytablepod, at historytablepod. Rich, what about you? Trapeer Jr. on Twitter. It's the best place to find me. Yeah, Rich and uh, Rich and Bruce post uh, fun games about their fun pictures about their Atlanta Zars yeah. campaign. So if you want to see yeah, their Bruce progress, a, go check it out. Yeah, local friend of mine, Vertical War Gamer on Twitter. But yeah, I thought it was kind of funny because right after we finished our game last Thursday, we we're both posting stuff. So yeah. they each get our side of the story. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, folks, everyone, uh, continue to stay healthy, and uh, hopefully, if everything keeps on keeping on, we'll see you in June in Kansas City, and if not, we'll we'll figure something out. All right, Can't let's... wait. I hear there's a place called Meat Church, and I want to visit it. What? <laughs> Yeah, there's a place in KC. It's called Meat Church. I think they spell like spices for barbecues and stuff like that. I've never heard about this. There you go. Now you got something to find out, too. All right, I'm going to do some research. (laughs) I'll let you know. Beautiful. All right, folks, stay well. Good night, Matt. Good night, everyone.